I guess we should explain this to anyone who's new listening that you have like a very unusual December tradition. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't take much time off during the year to save up my time off and then I take December off basically. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a Marshall month. <laughs> Marshall month. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What is the thing that you're most looking forward to doing from a, a media consumption point of view? Because I know this is a, a big theme for you. Oh my God, dude. I've just been watching YouTube and TikTok this whole time. <laughs> I haven't like consumed anything proper. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome to episode 452 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another one, Brian. What do we got today for this final episode of the year? Yeah. Oh, you know what we probably should have done now that you mentioned it? It's the final episode of the year. We probably should have done like a year recap, but we're going to be looking forward instead. We're going to be talking about 2023 design trends, uh, really analyzing some other people's predictions and kind of commenting, but then we'll make some predictions of our own. And then in the sidebar, Marshall, we have some really cool design case studies from other industries, stuff that might fly outside the radar of of product designers, but really cool design stuff to talk about from uh, automotive and gaming. So we'll get into that in the sidebar. Excellent. Well, without further ado. All right. Well, this episode is supported by Catch. Catch asks everyone out there listening, why did you become a freelancer? Was it for freedom or flexibility? Well, it probably wasn't because you want to manage your own health insurance, taxes, and retirement. Catch can do all of that for you. They offer benefits and personal payroll for the self-employed. So make sure you're covered for 2023 and go to catch.co slash design details slash health, or just tap the link in the show notes and you can renew your health coverage or find a better plan. So freelancers out there, anyone who is self-employed, that's catch.co slash design details slash health. Thanks, Catch. We also have some new very important pixels. Hey, welcome Ooh. to the fam. Hey. hey. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> what if I did all of the names at that cadence? That would be insane. And what if they all rhymed? Oh. Yeah, I feel like the the meter wouldn't line up perfectly, but we could, pre- we could maybe zhuzh it to get it to work. That'd be <laughs> I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try. <laughs> welcome to the fam, our new very important pixel supporters, Nilomi Jasrani, Phoebe Buffet. Matt Plays, Annika Ganson, Rochelle Pennington, Shenny, John Fakrell, Ishin Duan, Tishia K, Stacy Lee, John Casey, and Billy Purdy. Hey, that's a pretty purdy list you got there, Brian. That's a purdy list. Thank you, Billy, for <laughs> Welcome letting to us the fam. make a joke that you've probably heard a billion times. <laughs> you know, Superbad might be the most influential movie on my life. I Marshall. imagine, yeah. Every <laughs> single time I have to present identification to a stranger, uh-huh. it, the interaction is exactly the same. Uh-huh. 100% of the time. Uh-huh. Anyways, we digress. Um, Marshall, a little bit of follow-up. Last time we talked about Twitter's nonsense, and there has been more of it. But from a design <laughs> point of view, we actually have some follow-up. Last time we talked about what we would do with the, the whole verification stuff. Uh-huh. And boy, oh boy, have they made some changes. Were we prescient, <laughs> Brian? Uh, <laughs> so there's a new shape of avatars now. Businesses or verified businesses will now have 
square avatars, or shall we say rounded rectangle avatars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mismatched corner radius in the V1. I'm sure that'll get fixed. I mean, yeah, this is a good way. I mean, this is I just think a, this is a good idea, by the way. No, this is a great <laughs> way to differentiate between yeah. different types of accounts, right? Like, yep. And especially if you can kind of respect the inherent shape of that thing, like people are circles. But I think businesses make sense as like rounded squares or like the NFT thing, like, okay, do the hexagon, whatever. I I like using shape to differentiate type because it doesn't rely on color or some like badge or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, like the only so I agree with you. In fact, I believe in this, and it's actually something that I probably need to fix on campsite. But I believe we had this at Spectrum, and we had it. I think Facebook did it, or still does it. Uh, GitHub does it, which is humans are round, non-humans are square, and uh, it's a really nice distinction. So, like at Spectrum, communities had square avatars. I think, um, uh, yeah, GitHub orgs have square avatars, and that's pretty nice. The the thing that really throws a wrench in all this is they also have hexagons for NFTs, right? Yeah, yeah, where it's using shape to communicate something that shape isn't being used to communicate in the other Elsewhere. two instances, right? Yeah. Like, so. A little bit awkward there. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm a fan of Square for companies and bots and non-human things. Uh, they also added badge colors. So they they were spending time on the verification badges. And I think what I've seen so far as of the time of this recording, it's changing almost hourly. I think like political figures are getting gray badges. Blue subscribers are getting the blue badges. And I believe public figures now have a gold verified badge. Yeah, I like it. I mean, this is not exactly what we talked about, obviously, but like, yeah, this is in the same realm of like, how do you differentiate classes of badge type, right? And and this is against going against what I literally just said, but using color to denote those. I imagine that these colors are also like of a different value and hue so that even if you're colorblind, you can kind of tell the difference, but you could even use shape there as well. Yeah, well, they also added one more interesting thing, which is that next to the verified badge, they are trialing a business badge. And I think the way it'll work is if you have a verified business, you'll be able to indicate key employees. And so those accounts will show a square company badge next to their display name, which also includes the verified badge. So you could have display name, verified badge, and then company badge. And those both those badges show up everywhere. They show up in search. They show up on tweets. And so I don't know. It's just a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you can't even tap the badges. You can't tap the business badges to get details on the business. So it's just an, I don't know, they're just like iterating quickly. I think in a week or two, it'll it'll start to feel a little bit more solid. But these early iterations are definitely up in the air. Well, if, if you um, tap the badge, it'll take you to the profile page, like the account page. And if you tap on the, the verified badge there, it gives you a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, the company badge. Oh, I don't, I don't, maybe I haven't seen that one. Oh, here, let me send it. Let me, let me show you this really quick then. Oh, here, okay. Twitter business has the little Twitter logo thing after it. Yeah, so like if you're on the Twitter business account and you tap on the little Twitter logo next to the verified badge. Oh, so gold is for verified business. Interesting. Yeah, this is Nick. Well, this this gold verified account bottom sheet says, this account is verified because it's an affiliate of at Twitter on Twitter. <laughs> by Twitter. Yeah. Mark Jacobs for Mark Jacobs. <laughs> by Mark Jacobs. Uh-huh. 
Anywho. Okay, so that's our follow-up on the Twitter nonsense. Marshall, main topic time. 2023 design trends. We found this article, and and someone from the same company that wrote this article also made a, a YouTube video. So I guess we'll link to both, but we're going to be yeah. going through the article together. Yeah, the video uh, is just about the article, so let's just go to the source here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I realized that they were coworkers because I was wondering that too. I'm like, did this video really just copy the article? But no, yeah. they work for the same company. Okay, um, cool. okay, so 2023 Visual Design Trends Guide, Marshall. Yeah. <sighs> All right, well. Um, I think I agree with a lot of these. I think um, I do too, and I am not much of a trend person. Like, I don't really pay attention to it much because trends are ephemeral kind of by nature. So the stuff that I have typically worked on is so slow to make large changes that would be necessary to like incorporate some of these trends. Like I just don't pay a whole lot of attention. I'm more concerned with like the evergreen stuff. But it's interesting to read through these things and get an idea of what other people are thinking who, who have their fingers better on this pulse. But uh, in going through, I... I don't know if agree is the right word. More of like, I'm happy that this is the way things are going. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, let, okay, let's yeah. start. So the first one is is motion, motion design. design. Yeah, close to my heart. So this one, I, I feel torn on because one set of the examples is from like landing and marketing pages. And then the other example was from in product. And I think I like in product motion a lot better because it's usually in service of something like making it more clear that something happened or is happening or making it more clear where a piece of UI appeared from and where it will dismiss to. Like that's where mm-hmm. animation is really useful. Object permanence. Yeah. The the like landing page motion stuff. I think I think we've gotten really, really carried away. Like there's a lot of visually interesting landing pages that suck to use. And so maybe I shouldn't be such a Debbie Downer, but like I bias towards make this thing as clear as possible. Um, and if you have a million things animating in and out as you scroll the page or you're messing with scroll speed to time it with certain animations, like your page is no longer usable, even though it looks cool in a portfolio shot or on Dribble. So I, I guess I'm split on this. I agree that motion design is important. I just think we've gone overboard. Yeah, I mean, that's always the danger with using motion design is you can go overboard and then it just becomes everything moving all at once. But yeah, I think the stuff you were talking about earlier with like in interface things where you're creating relationships from one thing to another through motion and and helping user education through motion, like those, I think we should do more less Less web page, more app, right? Well, you know, the cool thing about motion is, at least speaking for the web, and maybe Swift UI as well, I don't, I don't know much about Android, but like the primitives for motion have gotten really, really good. On the web, Framer Motion is almost like, I guess there's a couple of those, Green Sock and Anime, but Framer Motion has lowered the barrier to making interesting animations of any type, both in product and on landing pages. And that accessibility, those primitives that make it easy to implement, makes it performant by default, has a clean API so even beginners can use it, like all that stuff, I think is leading to this explosion of of people using motion. And so there's probably just going to need to be a maturity curve of like, this thing that used to be hard is now really easy, so we're going to use it a lot. And then we'll be like, oh, just because it's easy doesn't mean we should use it every time. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, next trend listed is clean design. Yeah, Hmm. I feel like this is pretty evergreen. I mean, clean design will always be in style, you know? Yeah, I think this is, again, like the primitives 
and the tools to make a clean design have become so accessible and easy. And I think one of the tools leading the charge here is Tailwind CSS. Have you ever seen that or heard of it? Heard of it. Yeah. Never used it. Yeah. So Tailwind, they it's like a CSS framework, but what they give you out of the box is a handful of design tokens that are good by default. Bootstrap type shit. Yeah, it's like it's the modern bootstrap, except different in many ways. It's more tokenized. So it's like it's easy to extend and eject from. So you can do really crazy things with Tailwind. It's just that the default style looks pretty good by default. And then they also sell all these templates on the side for things like SaaS landing page or SaaS dashboard. And so that's why all these things start to blend together where I think it's fine. Like I would rather look at a web that is beautiful by default, even if at times some things are hard to distinguish. I still think that's better than highly distinguished websites where half of them look like shit. I don't know. I guess I could argue the other side that's like web design is becoming more homogenous. Yeah, I mean... There's also the, the idea of like, you know, when we went to flat design kind of as a as an industry in general, like, oh, this just looks like wireframes, right? And maybe you could see clean design as that of like, oh, you're just doing the bare minimum to get it across. But I think there's a huge amount of craft there of like more with less. So I don't know. I, I, it, just because a site is clean does not mean that it is well designed. And just because it's well designed doesn't mean it's clean. But um, mm, I like that. Yeah, hitting that sweet spot of both clean and well designed, I think, is the most like tranquil experience to have when using a product or a site. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that distinction. All right. Moving on. Next one moving is on. Uh, multicolor soft gradients. Mesh and, gradients. Yeah. Mesh oh, gradients. So hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah hansel yeah 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 i think um this well one okay this can be done really well <laughs> I, I, like i i love and hate mesh gradients so how are they done well well uh, when they're used to create like volume or create an environment that uh, uses source colors from like a, a foreground image or something and you fill the background like um, the now playing screen in Apple Music or whatever where it like has this kind of mesh gradient that moves in the background but it's based on the album art, right? Those are really nice. Uh, it can fail sometimes when like you have colors in that gradient that shouldn't go next to each other. Like I didn't go to school for design. I went to school for animation, which is why I said that uh, the motion design stuff really speaks to me. But we did learn basic color theory there and the color wheel and like colors that are opposite each other on the color wheel. When you blend from one to the other, like orange to blue or green to red or purple to yellow, it creates muddy, shitty colors in the middle. It doesn't look good. So when I see mesh gradients that I don't like, it's usually because it's colors that shouldn't be blending from one to the other because the stuff in the middle looks like shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's tough to do, right? A lot of times as well, like the outcome will depend on like really fine tuning what's what can even be rendered on that particular display. Like there's web safe colors and then now there's like P3 and different color profiles. And if you don't have support for the right colors, you end up with banding because it doesn't have the right intermediate steps on the gradient. So you can't get a smooth transition. Exactly. I have a question for you though, Marshall. Why do gradients look good? Like psychologically speaking, like I'm looking at these examples, like why are these so appealing to us? Um, here's my guess is you want to touch them. Like you kind of want to feel those surfaces because they feel smooth, right? You want to touch smooth stuff and mm. those things like if I put, 
a spiky ball and a perfectly round sphere in front of you. And I said, pick up one of those. Guess which one you're going to pick up, right? The spiky, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the spiky ball. <laughs> yeah, the, the round spheres. Cause like, and, and if I put things in front of you and, and one has like a, you know, a, a, a pokey texture and one has like a fuzzy texture, which one are you going to touch? The fuzzy one, probably, right? Like we want to touch stuff. This is why there's signs in every museum everywhere that says, don't fucking touch the <laughs> shit, right? It's because uh-huh. people want to touch stuff because, oh, that looks cool. I want to feel what it feels like. So I, I don't know. That's my just guess of like, or at least personally, this is how I feel like when I see these like, oh yeah, I want to run my hand across that smooth plastic surface of, you know, like, I don't know. It just, you want to touch it. So okay. uh, it's like some weird lizard brain thing. I don't know. I think I agree with you, but here's my other hypothesis is that these are color combinations that don't occur in nature, especially now that we have like highly saturated P3 neon-y bright oranges fading into pinks, fading into greens. Mm-hmm. The Instagram logo, basically. The Instagram logo, like that doesn't happen in nature or if it does, it's never that vibrant. And so there's like, there's still this constant novelty of like, I've never seen that particular range of colors put together so brightly and, and vibrantly. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's an aspect to of like, because sometimes they are normal colors. Like they're not always like danger and poisonous colors, you know, but Maybe it has something to do with like the preponderance of bokeh, you know, very shallow depth of field in a lot of photography and cinematography that we see of like, you're used to the blurry backgrounds. So that that's kind of a a normal thing to see. So it blends in perfectly well with these background things. You're used to seeing blurry backgrounds. That's how backgrounds go. They're blurred because you're looking to the foreground, right? That's a good point. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I buy all these. Um, <laughs> all right, moving on. Next trend. This one is close to my heart. Uh, high contrast slash monochrome. Hey, yeah. Black and white websites. Oh, my favorite kind of website. Yeah. Again, <laughs> this is like the dead simplest thing to do. And actually, you know, can sometimes you can get into some accessibility issues with like halation and even like device issues with ghosting and stuff if you go pure black, pure white. But yeah, generally, I I do like the high contrast as well. Yeah, I think the black and white designs are really, really hard to get right as I'm discovering the more time I spend on campsite. So with campsite, the philosophy is we want as little color as possible in the UI or Mm -hmm. in the app Chrome because it's about the the emphasis should be on the content. And Mm -hmm. in our case, the content is mostly images and prototypes and videos. It's like YouTube or something to fade away. Yeah, I mean, this (laughs) is a very common thing, right? Like Instagram has the same thing. It's really hard to get right. It's really hard to get your grays to be the right steps of contrast to create good hierarchy. It's hard to indicate selected states where if it's too high contrast, which is the thing I'm currently struggling with, like if a selected state on say a tab or nav bar is too high contrast, it can distract from the content. But if mm-hmm. you make it too low contrast, then there is zero the hierarchy, hierarchy in yeah. the, the app. So that's the challenge with with black, white, and gray. And yeah, I, I feel like high contrast is hard mode, right? Monochrome is hard mode because you have <laughs> well, to do the what you're same doing is things with fewer with tools. one fewer with one fewer tool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. pro mode. I like it. Yeah, and in a, in a similar tone, the next one is dark futuristic slash cosmic UI. I hadn't heard that term cosmic before, but dark UI. Can we just call this what it is and just call this the linear landing page? <laughs> Have you seen um, someone made a website of all the websites that look like linear's landing page? And it's hilarious because they all look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, so this is like the linear style landing page 
which maybe linear wasn't the first to do this style. I think obviously like dark landing pages with text and gradients, like that's actually been common for a while, especially in the dev tool space. I think what linear did is they upped the small detail craftsmanship game where everyone's like, fuck, like, okay, that's the right way to do it. And so now it feels like every landing page, especially in the dev tool space, is kind of just trying to look like linear and trying to emulate some of the details, the hover interactions, the blurs, the insect glows on containers. Well, so I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a website called linears.art and someone compiled a list of screenshots of landing pages that look like linear. And I don't know, you can go through them. And honestly, I don't really care that much, again, if I have to choose between things that like look good and are clear versus things that are differentiated and look bad and are hard to understand. I will go with homogenous and clear, as boring as that makes me. And I, I scroll through these websites. I'm like, yeah, they all kind of look like linear, but they're all also pretty damn clear. Like there's a big headline, there's a big call to action, and it goes into some features and benefits sections. Like, yeah, I mean, the, pretty easy to use websites. The, the top of a website, the, yeah, the landing above the fold stuff, of like big headline, descriptive paragraph, call to action, peak of some imagery or whatever below. So that you scroll down, like that is. I don't know that any one website owns that formula, you know, but yeah, yeah. but these are pretty blatant. <laughs> Some of them are. Who, who knows which ones came first? But again, I think linear, they just pushed the craft bar. Nice. Okay. Cool. What's next? Up um, next is real life materials imitation. And this includes what uh, she calls glass morphism, clay morphism, metal slash chrome morphism, et cetera. Uh, yeah, and I think glass, like old school windows, arrow, and uh, what does Apple call it? It's like the frosted glass uh, blurred background. I see that everywhere. And because that's become such an easy thing to achieve on web, I don't see it going anywhere, especially because it it allows the content to extend beyond its container, right? And, and allow you to like see what parts of the UI are fixed, which helps with the hierarchy stuff you were talking about earlier. Yeah, 100%. I love it. Um, did you see the Next.js conference landing page that was out a little while ago? Maybe you might not have seen it. No. It's one of the examples in this blog post. The cool thing that they did was, so they had this like real life material. They created this prism, which represents the Vercel logo. Uh, they made it 3D and then they shone a light through it and it refracted and created this rainbow that came out the other side, right? Like the, uh. Dark side of the moon cover. Dark side of the moon cover. Yes. Yeah. It's like that, but 3D WebGL. But then what they did is they made it interactive. And part of their landing page for their conference was they hid these Easter eggs where if you rotated the prism in a certain angle, you could also change where the light came in from. It would refract the light. And when it intersected with certain elements, like little Easter eggs would appear. So you could like, it's almost like shining a flashlight around the page, but you're rotating this 3D prism that's refracting a light ray. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. Uh, and again, I think it's all these things are, are just more cases of the tooling to build this stuff is becoming more and more accessible and approachable to mere mortals. Where in the past, like actually the Vercel one, probably still a case of like mad science genius to whoever made that. But I think that these kinds of things, these WebGL 3D things are becoming a lot more approachable. I think of tools like Rive or Spline. They're like the Figmas, but for 3D design. And they're getting to the point where you can just export like a React component more or less. And so once the tooling becomes that accessible, you're just going to see the output popping up everywhere. Yeah, love it. 
I mean, we even kind of did something similar to this on YouTube with the ambient mode where like the player glows in dark mode outside of it yeah like how um not what you're talking about i'm just talking about like real life materials imitation it's like yeah it's like in a dark room the tv lights up the walls why doesn't it do that on the watch page yeah yeah all right anyways uh up next gigantic typography again not new but definitely hot right now definitely hot and uh, and probably i mean i guess maybe the the distinction here is not just like a large headline or whatever but like actually huge fucking typography like um, like full full screen i mean it's all responsive typography as well right i'm trying to think of um Shit, I'm trying to think if there was a, a movie that did like, you know, when you go to a new city and it's like London, England on the bottom. But this one is like huge fucking covered the entire And that all screen. the Marvel movies? Like, yeah. Anytime they transition to a new place. Like, I mean, it became kind of trendy, right? But it's, it's that type of thing where like cover the entire screen with text, like one yeah. word. And that's pretty cool. A good example here is this heart aerospace example with the ES30, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. giant five letters, you know, five characters across the entire screen. I think it's effective, especially as a grounding element. Yeah, I think the only reason that that works, though, is in combination with some of the other trends that this article points out, like the use of motion, the use of gradienting to like create smooth transitions between these big sections. So, yeah, it's funny how if you just have big text and it kind of just scrolls away flatly uh it might not feel as good as some of these effects where they overlap with other real materials or elements or gradients parallax yeah yeah parallaxing yeah all right, and the next one is sentimental design. This is kind of like a collection bucket of a bunch of different things, including neo. How do you pronounce this? this it's not neo brutalism. It's like neo brutalism. <laughs> Noia, like Helvetica Noia, Noia brutalism. Uh-huh. Anyways, new brutalism, vintage retro wave, eighties and nineties magazine slash poster lookalike trends, all this stuff in the single bucket. Yeah, it's like. In less saturated, more earthy or pastel-y. Or like nostalgic, right? Like throwback yeah. stuff like 80s, 90s or you know, magazine design or even the brutalist stuff like uh, what Figma is doing, with like heavy strokes and big blocky shapes. Yeah, I feel like the best example of this is the the vacation website. This to me is like the peak example of this style. And I'm spacing on what they, they were called before this, but it was like this music app that it's still in the app store and they brought this aesthetic to the iPhone and it was buck wild. Are you talking uh, about like poolside.fm? I think? Yes, yes. This is that same company, poolside.fm. Ah, poolside. yeah. I think now they're called Vacation. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this bucket is like bad on purpose. <laughs> yeah, but I think this is reflective of fashion, like clothing fashion that we're going through right now, mm-hmm. where the 90s aesthetic is cool again, even yeah. though it's like it looks bad, but you're wearing it confidently. So now it doesn't. It looks cool, but I don't like it. I remember when I was like in the late 90s, uh, bell bottoms came back. And I remember my mom being like, holy shit, that's back. It wasn't good the first time. Why are we doing that again, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And now I see like all these huge baggy jeans like Jinkos. I'm like, oh God, what are we doing that again? That was stupid when I did it the first time. Why are we trying this again? Anyways. Yeah. The youths need their shot. They need to experience what it's like to have embarrassing photos of yeah, them you, you gotta, 20 years from now. You got to let them touch the hot stove, I guess. You, know? <laughs> you got to let them touch the bell bottoms. <laughs> yeah. I almost called them the dumbbells. <laughs> well, kind of. All right. Well, that's the end of the list. Brian, do you have any predictions that you'd like to add to this? Any Anything you expect to see in 2023? 
Yeah, I think um, so. One one negative prediction is I think we're still going to be living in scroll animation hell. Mm-hmm. And I love Framer and I love Framer Motion, but I do kind of blame Framer for putting this on us, which is they've made it so easy with their new Framer Sites product to add scrolling animations that now everybody is doing it. And it's one of those things where you can do it tastefully or you can overdo it and do it in all the wrong places. And I think we're still just in that maturity curve where it's so easy that everybody's using it for everything. I think we're still going to be living in that scroll animation hell. Um, I would also blame Apple, actually. Maybe Framer doesn't deserve as much heat. I think Apple kind of led the charge on this when they started changing their aesthetic to that like crazy scroll, you know, like frame switching on on big images and stuff. Mm-hmm. They started doing that probably five years ago. Yeah. And everyone's catching up. Before or at it was least easy. it's now yeah. really accessible to do that. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, like a more positive thing, I think just goes back to that the next JS conference ticketing website I was talking about where we're going to see more and more really creative intersections of these trends where, you know, they took, okay, we're going to do something with WebGL, it's 3D, but it's also interactive, but it also exposes content and it becomes a game and makes this thing playful and fun. Um, so it's not just about looking pretty, but you can engage one level deeper with it. Um, maybe we'll see the same thing with, I don't know, some of these other trends, just where they combine and intersect and add to the user experience instead of just being pretty things, uh, I think will be really interesting. I think that's going to get even crazier in the next year. So those are my predictions. I don't know. It's all pretty vague, I guess. But Yeah, mine are also going to be vague, probably. Um, I think we'll see more of the new Brutalist stuff, uh, and I will continue to hate it, but I think we'll keep <laughs> seeing that for a little while. That has a longer time. You know what? Here, here's one thing I think. Can I, we linger on that one for a second? Yeah. When Figma rebranded, what was it like three years ago? They did that big redesign. I really didn't like it. And I still don't like it. I still don't like Figma's landing page. And one of the reasons that I don't like it is because I felt like it no longer spoke to me as a product designer. Because what they did is they abstracted interface design into really ugly blobs and shapes. And like all of their sort of landing page demo UI was just objectively bad design. But I understand why they did it. Like they wanted to abstract some of the concepts so that one, it's more approachable, but two, it it doesn't feel like Figma has to be for creating super highly polished stuff. And I think, you know, they're continuing to lean into this with with FigJam. We're like, no, it's actually for all types of creative people at all stages of the design process. And if they had created a design or brand that was too polished, I can see how they might have fallen short of that, that bigger vision. For me, like Framer and Figma are on the opposite sides of this scale where Framer so clearly positions themselves for and they themselves revere great polished user interfaces. And then Figma's on the other side of that where they're like, nope, it's for messy blobs and shapes and everything in between. And oh, by the way, yeah, every product designer in the world also uses us. So that's why I feel a lot of tension is like, I'm like you, I think I don't like it, but I can see why you would choose that. Well, okay. I, I should clarify and say that I actually do like it for Figma, right? I love that <laughs> I, for them. I um, love that for you. Yeah. AKA, no, I hate I, that but, for me. But, uh, well, yes. But also, like, I actually do like it for them. I think it works well for the purpose of removing the scariness from a product, right? Uh, because I think that style is, like, kind of inherently childish, right? It looks like a coloring book. It looks like, you know, children's illustrations. So 
And if the goal is to like make the big, bad, scary application a little bit more approachable, then by all means. But you got to use it really carefully depending on what your product is, right? Like not every product can adopt this and have it be successful. So um, yeah. you just got to be really careful how you use it. And, and I think that's why I don't like it is because a lot of times when I see it used, I feel like it's dumbing down the underlying product. Well, that's the interesting thing to me is, is that contrast between how you position yourself and then what the tool is actually like. Because as you and I have discussed over the years, you know, we do reviews of Figma features as they come out, especially around auto layout and like new changes to the properties panel and all this kind of stuff. Figma is a pro tool. And you get into the tool and the interface, they try really damn hard to make it clean and crisp and every pixel is in the right place because they need that density. They need to account for truly pro workflows. And so the contrast between the landing page and that product experience is much sharper than the contrast you might feel going from like Framer's landing page to Framer's product. Like that feels like a very continuous experience, whereas I don't think Figma's would be. Like if you're a beginner and the landing page appeals to you because it seems like a really approachable tool and then you land in Figma, you might be like, holy shit, what did I just sign up for? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, unless you're in Fig Jam, in which case everything is big and chunky and <laughs> yeah, easy yeah, yeah. to use, right? That's why it seems like they've got to merge these, right? They've got to put Fig Jam components into Figma files. Either you have a Fig Jam page or something else. I don't know. That, they charge separate for it. So they're probably not incentivized to combine. But yeah, well, uh, they know what they're doing. <laughs> They'll figure it out. Anyways, we, we ended up making this about Figma somehow, as we always do. But okay, uh, I just had one other thing, which is like, Tokenization is becoming a lot more easy now, and uh, this is what makes theming possible, right? And and you know we're pretty used to seeing light themes and dark themes even on web pages, right? Even respecting your device theme, that's kind of uh, table stakes now. And I'm I'm thinking as tokens become more easily implemented that uh, we might see more customization in products as far as like not just light and dark, but like purple mode and pick your favorite color and that's what we'll show you stuff in. I feel like uh, actually uh, Twitter did this, right? Like you could pick your interface color. Yep. The, the CTAs and everything. Or it changed the, the tint color, yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. Apple did this too, right? Like they, they introduced that a couple versions ago where you could change your like Mac OS tint color for right. actions and buttons. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. This is a thing. Like I know that Figma is thinking about implementing this into the actual application. So there's plugins to do it now. But as that becomes more accessible, I, I feel like maybe we'll see more theming. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here. I don't have good... I don't have good predictions. I'm not great at predicting the future. Well, you know who's doing a really good job at this? And it took them a long, long time to get it set up, but then they they were able to use that foundation to to build very quickly is GitHub and hey. the GitHub theme switcher. I don't know if you've seen it lately, but they have not one, not two, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine themes. And you can choose either of those night themes for dark or light mode. And the themes, um, you know, they have light and dark, but they also have sort of like the high contrast light, high contrast dark. And then they have modes for each of the common color blindness, protonopia, deuteranopia, tridonopia, which of course GitHub should do because a very key part of the GitHub experience is looking at diffs, which historically were red and green. And if you couldn't distinguish those colors, Godspeed, you're going to have a hard time reviewing code. But now Even you have options. syntax and, highlighting, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So it makes perfect sense for, for GitHub. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, to theming stuff, I think you know, there's one and then non-one, 
right? It's like anything more than one. If you can do two, you can do a thousand ostensibly, right? Uh, ostensibly, yeah. You, yeah. I don't know how many you can do well. Yeah, um, I mean, you have to have your semantic game on point, right? Like you have to have all of your color really semantics dialed in, yeah. really dialed in so that you can just yeah. change out the constants and you're good to go. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked enough about 2023 design. We'll see how much of that ends up coming true. Maybe we'll do a little uh, wrap up at the end of next year if we remember in 365. <laughs> I think we might have said the same thing last year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we used to do like uh, wrap ups of the year behind, but I, I like this yeah. idea of uh, looking ahead. Yeah. I, you know, I'm excited by the state of design today. I think people are doing some really cool and creative shit. I think it's becoming so much easier to build really awesome experiences for web and mobile. And that makes it more approachable for all kinds of people with different kinds of ideas to build what they want to build. I think that kicks ass and the web is very fun. And I'm so happy and feel really lucky that talking about this stuff is even enjoyable because it, then it makes going and building this kind of stuff even more enjoyable. Like we just get to soak in it all day long. Nice. Uh, it's awesome. Next year is going to be great. Sweet. Cool. All right. Should we get into cool things? Let us Watch do out. some cool things. Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Uh, I've been on break the last, what, 10 days. And I've basically just been watching YouTube and TikTok. And um, I've had this on my list for a long time to mention. I don't think I've mentioned it before. You'll let me know if I have. It's a TikTok channel called Caricature Party. Have you heard of this? It doesn't sound familiar, but you have shown me some TikToks. So keep okay. explaining what the premise is. Caricature Party. It's a lady and a gentleman who are caricature artists. I think they're based in Honolulu and they do the most unflattering caricatures of people. And it's fucking hilarious. Like if you have any sort of insecurity about how you look <laughs> they will exaggerate it beyond oh no. anything oh you could no. ever imagine but the thing about it is you look at it and you're like yeah that's that person <laughs> like i can tell that's them uh-huh. and so each video is a formula it's we, we show one person and then we show them on the page as they're drawn and then the other person and then on the page as they're drawn etc until you get through all the people and then the reveal of tearing the sheet of paper off and turning around and showing it to the people because they haven't seen it the whole time and them losing their minds because it's almost always perfect. Um, <laughs> I've spent like cried laughing scrolling through these things, man. It's so fucking funny. And the two artists are really good. They have different styles, but like the I don't know how long it takes them, but I mean, full shading with gradients and they're, they're using chalk, you know, colored chalk. And it's just really impressive. So and very fun. So if you're okay, interested I'm, in laughing, I'm not for on a TikTok, while, but I've I've Googled I've Googled it. So I'm gonna look up an example video here. Yeah, yeah. Holy I'm watching one right now. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Jesus Christ, dude. Uh-huh. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unflattering is an understatement. <laughs> it is unflattering. Oh my god. Okay. But still identifiable. You're like, oh yeah, that's that person, even though their nose is way bigger than it actually is, or their. It neck seems is like way it's longer. always the nose. Like if you have a big nose, you're just fucked. Like or if I'm, your teeth I'm, are fucked up, or if your eyes are yeah. slightly too far apart, or slightly too close together, or if like, any anything, if it's slightly off of average, they will accentuate it. Oh my gosh! Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. And, cool. and cool people thing. always have like a good reaction to it. Like no one ever gets mad. Like you sign up knowing that you're going to get 
destroyed. So people yeah. are all pretty good sports about it. Well, have you seen that Nathan for you skit where he draws the offensive caricatures? Oh, no, I don't want to. Oh, uh, there's a whole skit where he convinces this caricature artist that uh, the reason he's not doing enough business is that he's not being shocking enough. And so the episode is him like, basically doing offensive caricatures, like playing into every racial stereotype you can imagine. And it was funny because in the the filming of it, there's like a security guard in the background. Like you could almost tell that they were preparing for the worst case outcome. But everyone had the same reaction as this. Like you show them these like hyper exaggerated cliches in character form. And it's just kind of funny. It's like it's so silly, right, to see something that if it had been any more nuanced, you'd be like, damn, this person's racist. But because it's so overt. Yeah, it's way past the uncanny valley. Yeah, Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's so far in caricature land that you don't take it too seriously. Yeah. But also it gave me faith that like there's still lots of people with a good sense of humor and Mm -hmm. can have a good laugh at themselves. Yeah, well, those people were on the Nathan for you thing probably were signing up for a normal caricature. These people know that they're getting because they have examples up so you can see and you can stand in line watching as yeah. the people ahead of you get destroyed. So, Oh man, yeah. brutal. Known quantity. Anyways, caricature party on TikTok. Check it out. All right. Cool, What's thing? cool thing. Marshall, I have seen the light. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. The new Avatar movie is out. Yeah. I saw it in IMAX 3D. How was it? Uh, what What did you think of the first Avatar movie? I I mean, in IMAX 3D, it was a beautiful experience. I mean, the story is Fern Gully, but it's uh-huh. really well done. I don't know. I liked it. Okay. It's pretty tropey, but like, you know. Uh-huh. Well done. So uh, I won't, no spo- no spoilies here because I imagine we'll actually end up watching this together at some point. But the second Avatar is really incredible. Um, you know, I, I guess you could still argue maybe James Cameron isn't pushing the boundary in plot development and character development, but he is absolutely pushing the boundary in technology and CGI. And I so I watched the second one, then I went back and I rewatched the first one with, with my parents this week because I'm going to take them to see the second one. And rewatching the first one, dude, Avatar 2 makes Avatar 1 look like child's play. Oh, is it like like, uh, Toy Story 4 compared to Toy Story 1 or something? Yeah, like in your head, you're like, oh, Toy Story 1 was fine. But then you go back and watch it like, ooh, like this was really, really old. I was filling a lot of the gaps in with my imagination. The same thing is happening here. Avatar 2's graphics, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. It's been like a decade, right? Yeah, 13 years. Technology goes pretty fast. It's a long, it's an eternity in technology. It's terms. stunning, man. You should yeah. go see it in IMAX 3D if you get a chance. And then you can I, watch I, it again Maybe I'll go with my parents when they're in town. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I think it's 100% worth it. Everyone who I've seen complain about it is like, eh, I don't like the story. Like Avatar was Dances with Wolves in Space. I'm like, yo, go watch this one film push like avatar 2 is hollywood's r&d budget for the next decade like it's that insane how impressive the technology and the the output is so my hats off to james cameron i thought it was a great movie that i certainly enjoyed it felt like going on a like a disneyland ride you know you just like strap in and yeah three hours later you step off and you're like what planet do i live on it's kind of like that it seems like imax 3d is the move if you're gonna do it right 100 percent yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool thing. All right. I might have to add that to my you definitely vacation should. watch list. Yeah. All cool. right. Well, it's been episode 452 of the Design Details podcast. Hope you all enjoyed listening. This has been fun. Yeah. A mega sized episode. Yeah. Mega app. And uh, if you enjoyed it, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, as always, at Design Details FM. 
uh, you know, this was uh, our last episode for 2022. Thank you, everybody who's been listening along and who started supporting the show this year. I hope you have enjoyed this year as much as we have and hope you have great holidays, new year, and we'll catch you in 2023. Bye. All right, sidebar. Here we go. All right, already over an hour. Let's keep it keep it short, I guess. <laughs> yeah, dude. Sure. Okay. <laughs>